Mayday is brought to you by our October podcast partners. Our small business podcast partner this month is jordandene.com. That is Jordan, D-E-N-E.com. Uh, she runs an apparel and accessories company. Uh, it is fantastic stuff. If you have a fandom, you should go check this out. Uh, this is functional fandom items. So these are t-shirts, accessories, aprons, all kinds of great things that are themed around fandoms but aren't your everyday looking stuff. Uh, you can wear this stuff every day. They're totally fashionable and functional, and I think you will really like what you see. If you have children, they have a kids section that has all kinds of cool stuff. Onesies, kids t-shirts, uh, crayon bandoliers, which I think are one of the coolest, most unique things I've ever seen. So definitely go check them out. Uh, JordanDenae.com. Once again, it's J-O-R-D-A-N, like Jordan, uh, D-E-N-E.com. Our organization podcast partner this month is NARAL Missouri. They are Missouri's largest grassroots pro-choice organization working to protect a woman's right to a full range of reproductive health care for over 40 years. They are doing some amazing work. Um, You might have seen us live stream uh, an event that they were at where they had their handmade protest group. Look for more on that as the month goes on. For more information about them, you can go to ProChoiceMissouri.org. That's ProChoiceMissouri.org to get more information about NARAL, Missouri. Lastly, our wild card, and this one I am very excited to introduce you all to. Um, It is called Geek Girl Brunch. You can find out all about them if you visit their website, geekgirlbrunch.com. This was something that is really cool, very grassroots, started uh, up in New York City by three women who were looking to start a women's only uh, brunch group to just talk about geeky stuff and do geeky stuff with fandoms and all kinds of things. Uh, So now it has kind of exploded and they have chapters all over the country in the United States. There might be one in your city. You don't know. Um, or a lot of international. There's some in Iceland, Tokyo, just all over the place. So you can visit them, geekgirlbrunch.com. They have a map and a list of their chapters. You can also apply to start a chapter in your city if this is something you are interested in. Um, So visit geekgirlbrunch.com, find your local chapter, or start a local chapter. That is geekgirlbrunch.com. Check them out. So once again, those are our October podcast partners. Thank you to all of them, and we're really excited to promote them and push out some uh, good people doing really cool stuff. This is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hey everybody, it's Justin. Welcome to a special report from Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Uh, This is going to be part one of a two-part interview with Irish reporter Sarah Malacco from the website Shemazing.net. We caught up with her back in August to kind of get some information on things in Ireland because it turns out that the Handmaid's Tale is very popular there. And uh, we were just interested as to why. And turns out there is quite a struggle going on there in the area of women's right and women's body autonomy. And so we caught up with Sarah to give us all the information and everything we needed to know. So we wanted to pass that along to you. Uh, Once again, this is part one of a two-part interview. And this is Sarah Malacco from the website Shemazing.net. Hey, everybody. This is Justin. This is Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Today, we are being joined by Sarah Malacco. She is a reporter from Ireland. She works for Shemazing.net. And we are going to talk today about uh, all things... Ireland, women's rights, Handmaid's Tale, and uh, how those all work together and fit. So, Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm great today, Justin. How are you? I am doing excellent. So, let's first of all, let's uh, give a brief rundown of the kind of overall picture of women's rights, because if you're not really familiar, uh, just give us a rundown of the laws and why people are trying to fight for uh, repealing this Eighth Amendment in the Constitution. Um, essentially, the Irish Constitution 
bans abortion here. Um, it's because of this clause. It's called the Eighth Amendment. And at the moment, there's a massive kind of social and political project called Repeal the Eighth. Um, but the amendment is an amendment in the Irish Constitution that equates the life of an unborn fetus with the life of the woman carrying it. So because of this right to life held by the fetus, Irish women don't have full ownership over their bodies. Once they're pregnant, they're the incubus for that fetus, whether they like it or not. Because if they fall pregnant, they don't want to follow through with the pregnancy and have a child. They're still forced by the government and the legal system to continue with that pregnancy to term. So preserving the life of the fetus, going against the will of the woman who's being forced to be a vessel for this pregnancy um, because procuring an abortion in Ireland actually carries a prison sentence of up to 14 years. So if they choose abortion, they literally have to flee their own country and travel to another country, which for Irish women is usually the UK because they're our closest neighbours and seek medical attention abroad um abortion pills are also completely illegal but there's like a roaring black market trade for them here um the abortion pill obviously is a safe method for ending pregnancies it's even on like the world health organization's list of essential medicines um but as i said women who take them can face up to 14 years in prison um abortion's been illegal since like the 1800s might be a good note to say that when this law was brought in, women did not have the right to vote in Ireland. Um, but Ireland has always been relatively behind the times when it comes to kind of sexual liberation and women's rights. Contraception wasn't even legal here until 1980. And that was all based on the Catholic Church's opinions on sexual morality. But then in 1992, it was actually made legal for women to travel abroad for an abortion. So you could no longer kind of be um, punished for getting an abortion abroad. So essentially, Ireland outsources their problematic women to other countries. And it's extremely hypocritical. It's like we won't stop you having an abortion as long as it's not on our doorstep. You can have an abortion as long as it's not in this country. And this seriously endangers women because they're not able to access the appropriate health care that they need when they're forced to travel. Like some women, you know, they don't have the resources to be able to take two or three or four days off work to travel. They can't even take sick time off because if they do, they'd need to give their boss a doctor's note, which obviously they're not going to be able to have because they're in England or Amsterdam or Germany having an abortion. And, you know, that might necessarily be something that you want your employer to know based on the stigma that is associated with it. So, you know, while it's just a really terrible situation and, you know, people have been protesting this for decades, but right now it's really kind of having a a major kind of social, you know, visible moment uh, because of some kind of notable cases that have gotten a lot of national and international media. Yeah, so, so. Let's, let's talk about the international side of it, because I know you were mentioning uh, before we went on that the UN has even, you know, their human rights violations for Ireland and saying that their practices are violating basic human rights for these women. And so tell us a little bit about that case. Yes. So last year, the, the United Nations Human's Ra Human Rights Commission, they actually ruled that Ireland's abortion laws are, you know, against their violation of human rights. They call them cruel, inhuman and degrading to women. Um, and that's something that I'm sure the UN would have said about the dystopia that is Gilead. 
Um, but this was a specific case in 2011, a woman named Amanda Mellet, she was 21 weeks pregnant and herself and her partner unfortunately found out that her pregnancy carried a fatal fetal abnormality. Um, even in cases where the baby will never survive outside the womb, um, a woman is not allowed to have, a, have an abortion here in Ireland. Um, so Amanda would have been forced to continue pregnancy and deliver the child if she remained in Ireland. So she did end up going abroad to have an abortion. She was deeply, deeply affected by this. Of course, you know, it's never an easy choice to make, no matter what your situation is. Um, and she decided that she was going to sue Ireland for the torment that she went through. And the UN was completely on her side. They said her health was detrimentally impacted by the shame and the stigma associated with the criminalization of abortion in Ireland. So Ireland was given a deadline then to respond to Amanda's case. And rather than making any kind of move to change the laws in any way, despite what the UN has said, they just offered her a sum of money in compensation for what she went through. Has there been any more um, of those cases in the past? Not necessarily ones that have sued Ireland per se, but there have been countless cases that have caused, caused massive public outcry. Um, one in particular that really got so much attention was in 2012, um, a woman called Savita Halapanaber. Um, you know, you, you really can't talk about um, our, Ireland's fight for abortion rights without mentioning Savita. Um, but she was about four months pregnant and she began to suffer a miscarriage um, and she was brought to the University Hospital in Galway, which is actually where I'm from, um, where she contracted septicemia and she died. So she was pregnant and began miscarrying and the miscarriage was happening over a number of days. And Savita repeatedly asked for a termination to end the pregnancy because she was obviously miscarrying, but she was refused a termination despite the fact that she was already miscarrying on the grounds that the staff thought that the fetus's heart was potentially beating, despite them knowing that the fetus would never survive outside the womb. And it was reported at the time that Savita and her husband were told that this is a Catholic country as grounds for not being allowed to have a medical termination. So that kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, about how the Catholic roots really run deep in this issue. Right. Um, so pro-choice groups campaigned massively after her death because, you know, she contracted septicemia due to the kind of extent of the miscarriage, which, you know, it's very likely that she would have been survived if she had been allowed a termination. And her mother actually spoke out against this country's abortion laws, saying that in an attempt to save a four-month-old fetus that could never survive, they killed her 30-year-old daughter. So, you know, this just caused massive public outcry you know, her life was equated to that of, of a dying unborn fetus that could never have survived. And because of this, she died. And what so, was the government response to that? They didn't make any, you know, feasible change that has helped any women in the past five years. Women are still traveling. Women are still having secret abortions in their own bathrooms because they have to, you know, take the abortion pill and risk getting arrested for doing that. You know, there's women that have incomplete abortions and they have to go to their local hospitals and they just live in fear that it's up to the discretion of the doctor not to hand them over to the Gardaí. And everyone is affected by this issue, whether, you know, you're a woman who has personally had to make the decision to travel or you just know a friend of a friend. Like, 
you know, there's too many women, 12 women every day leave this country to get an abortion abroad. And, you know, there's just so many things like you hear about. There's tricks and things that you can do, like set up a P.O. box and you get your abortion pill sent there under a fake name and then close the P.O. box. You know, things like that. So you're not going to get caught and get arrested. And it's just madness. Like women in Northern Ireland, um, they've even presented themselves to the Gardaí, like telling the Gardaí that they've had abortions. And they were hoping to like trigger a trial to showcase the like archaic nature of the the laws. But they weren't immediately arrested. So the question is, why won't they change the laws when they're willing to not arrest women and also compensate them? That's really interesting. So not only will they just kind of say, okay. Don't do it here, but you can leave and go do it over there. They also won't prosecute anyone to make, I guess, because they wanted to keep as low visibility on this as possible. Is that how it's being seen? Well, I guess I just feel like personally, they must just know that this law is so unnecessary. There have been cases where women have been prosecuted. Um, Even recently, a mother, she purchased the abortion pill for her child who was pregnant. I believe the child was around 13 or 14 um, and she wanted an abortion. She felt she was too young to have a child. Um, And that that mother is being prosecuted for purchasing that pill for her child. Um, you know, there's a very famous um, X case in 1992 um, where a 14-year-old schoolgirl was raped and fell pregnant. She was forced to travel to receive an abortion. She sought an abortion here, was not able to get one, had to travel. Later, this was brought before the Irish Supreme Court and she won. So it was then kind of brought into legislation in 2013 that where there's a real risk to the life of the mother, um, abortion would be allowed But there are, again, many, many instances in Ireland where this Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act, which is what says a termination can be carried out when there's a real or substantial loss of the woman's life by way of suicide, you know, it doesn't often get followed through. Or this year, actually, it was. It came out that a suicidal pregnant child and her mother had travelled to Dublin to try and get, they were from down the country, um, to try and get a legal abortion based on the fact that the child was suicidal. Um, They thought that when they were asked to come to Dublin, it would be to get the abortion. When they arrived, the child was sectioned to a mental health facility um, to be examined by a panel to decide whether or not she could have an abortion. Um, obviously, that is just despicable to dis- detain a child because they're wanting an abortion. It's just awful. It then came out later that an, an, a further two suicidal women who had attempted to commit suicide based on the fact that they were pregnant were also turned down for legal abortions in Ireland. Um, Mara Clark, who's the founder of the Abortion Support Network, said at the time that both of these women were basically told they weren't suicidal enough to have an abortion. Um, Is there a scale? Is there a set scale for that kind of thing? I mean, I would love to see there, you know, how like how suicidal do you have to be if like to get one? Apparently not even attempting to commit suicide can get you one. Around 25 women um, accessed legal abortion in Ireland last year and around three and a half thousand women travelled to access abortion last year. So these laws are not stopping abortions happening by any means at all. So let me ask you this question. As far as the makeup of the Irish, the government, who are obviously in charge of these sorts of things and the judiciary, Mm -hmm. what is the uh, male to female ratio? 
Um, I couldn't tell you exact figures now, but I would tell you there are a lot more men than there are women. Um, although there are some, um, you know, kind of standout figures, female figures in Irish government who are on the pro-choice side. Um, Catherine Zapone, who's actually our Minister for Children, is pro-choice, spotted her at the march the other day. Nice. Um, but yeah, we recently actually got a new Taoiseach. Um, that's like what we call our, our kind of prime minister, um, Leo Varadkar. And while he is quite conservative, he is much more open than our previous government. Um, our previous Taoiseach, Enda Kenny, he actually said that there will never be a referendum in the lifetime of his government because he does not believe in abortion on demand. Like that's a kind of a quote from him. Mm. And I, I understand that the term abortion on demand was kind of... Um, an American phrase when, you know, women's rights activists were first kind of petitioning for abortion. But here in Ireland, that phrase has really been twisted to mean something completely negative by the anti-choice side. Um, they use it to kind of project this image of, you know, women on a Sunday morning queuing up outside the abortion clinic and that they think people are going to be like, you know, oh, geez, Linda, she had a lovely abortion there the other day. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, just a thing ridiculous. you do right after you go to the supermarket, right? Yeah, exactly. It's so ridiculous. Like abortion on demand. It's like saying liver surgery on demand. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> we had talked over a month ago and we were waiting for this March, which we'll talk about um, mm -hmm. to happen because I wanted to get some more info on that. But then you dropped this on me, which I was completely unaware of. So let's, let's talk about this um, Abortion Information Act, because this... If there's anything about this that is, uh, re you know, reflecting Gilead, uh, not that the other stuff isn't, but this kind of am amazed me that it's illegal for women to procure information about an abortion. Yeah. So I found this really similar to the fact that women in Gilead aren't able to like read. So in Ireland, it's actually illegal to even distribute information about abortion. So it's not legal to publish or seek information on terminations due to the abortion information act that was brought in in 1995 so information on where to find and purchase abortion pills that's illegal contraband information in ireland you can't give this information like orally in public at a meeting you can't give it on tv radio in a publication a magazine a leaflet nothing the information can only only relate to services that are lawfully available in that country so in ireland that means it's also not legal for a counsellor or a practitioner to recommend abortion as an option for women outside of the constraints of the Eighth Amendment. And something that I actually find kind of funny about this law is, not that there's anything really funny about it, but um, the punishment for this, uh, you know, for giving women that might, you know, have the intent of getting an abortion, the information, the punishment is a fine of 1,500 Irish pounds. So Ireland joined the EU quite a while ago. I couldn't even tell you when. But we actually stopped using Irish pounds in like 2002, so over 15 years ago. And it's no longer a currency that exists. <laughs> so it just kind of shows like how outdated they are. They haven't even changed this law to reflect current, you know, current currencies in our right. country. So it, it just amazes me that, especially with the information thing, with and like you said, it's a fairly outdated law the way it's written with the irish pounds but completely information being what it is today being accessible at the drop of a hat is there any real way to even enforce that not at all and i don't even think they ever would enforce it i could stand on the middle of o'connell street with a microphone shouting abortion pill prices and i honestly don't think anyone would do anything 
However, there was a instance before where there's there's kind of a coalition called Rosa and they do kind of distribute information. They're very active in the repeal the eighth movement here in Ireland. Um, and they had a bus that they were driving around the country and they were giving women information about abortion. And I believe the guards were called on them by some anti-choice activists. But again, I don't really think anything happened. Like it's not enforced they just want to like brush it under the rug completely. They're like, oh, you're getting abortions. That's okay. Just like, don't tell so us about it. We just question. don't want to know about it. For? The law. that you, If nobody wants to talk about it, they don't want to enforce it necessarily unless it's explicitly, you know, being done. Um, mm -hmm. You can go somewhere else to get it. Um, who is this for? Well, my personal opinion would be that... Ireland has extremely deep Catholic roots and, you know, and I do think that it still kind of reflects back to that time where, you know, women, if you had a pregnancy out of wedlock, you were a slut and a whore and you were shunned by society. And I do feel like, you know, the Catholic Church's moral stance is still impacting some of our laws today. I mean, I know I, I sent you some... Um, some kind of research material about the Magdalene laundries. Oh man! So let me yeah. let me preface this real quick. Um, if you want more information, I'll. Uh, it's the only way I can describe this because I would never tell anybody to go watch this for their own pleasure because this is awful. Um, My apologies for no, sending it to you, it, Justin, but you have to know. <laughs> you have to know. It's one of these things that if you're not aware, and I think probably a lot of people outside of Ireland, unless you have studied these kinds of things and researched them, uh, there were these institutions, asylums called the Magdalene uh, Asylums, correct? And, yeah, the Magdalene Laundries or Asylums. And there is a documentary that was done, and it's called Sex in a Cold Climate. And the, well, I'll let you explain it because you will do far better um, at it than me. The one thing I did find interesting when I was reading about it today is that it's never been shown in Ireland. Which doesn't, I guess, isn't surprising. But now knowing everything about, I know about Ireland. I'm not not necessarily shocked that they haven't set up a screening, you know, like in the town hall or anything. <laughs> Said, hey, look what we used to do. Uh, so I just know. give a brief rundown of the Magdalene system and how that all went down. Um, well, essentially, the Magdalene laundries. They, these were institutions that were actually opened until 1996. So, like, the, I was still alive when this this was going on, which just makes me just nearly go ballistic right which will, but, which will make everyone go ballistic when you actually tell yeah. them what this is the fact that Sorry. i saw that today that it was 1996 was the last one that closed and i was like you have to be kidding me there's no, no way that this existed until the 90s it's insane go ahead well if anyone's familiar with the bible they may recognize <laughs> the name mary magdalene you may have heard so of the bible May, you, you know, that, that old tome. But she was obviously the prostitute who followed God. Um, and the name is taken from that. So the Magdalene laundries were used to house women who were out of place in the very conservative Irish society at the time. You know, be they considered promiscuous by the day's standards or if they were pregnant out of wedlock or even if, you know, they were just attractive women. So there's a slight off chance that they might have sex before marriage. So we're going to lock them up. So these women would essentially be locked into these laundries, forced into hard labor. They would usually be tasked with washing clothes, hence the laundry's names, but also the robes of the Catholic Church, the bishops, etc. Um, so they would be forced into this hard labor. And once they had given birth to their illegitimate children, 
these women who were shunned by society and their families would have their babies taken from them against their will to be adopted out to good Christian families. And something that's actually quite horrific is recently um, a Magdalene laundry site in Tum was found to have the corpses of potentially, it's still under investigation, hundreds of babies buried under the Magdalene laundry. So that's something that's currently going on at the moment. So now it's is quite. That, is that to imply that the, they were buried there after they were given birth and there was something wrong with the baby? Or is that to imply something a little more nefarious, just to clarify? Um, well, that's the thing. We, we do not know what happened there. But, you know, there's quite like, I couldn't actually tell you off the top of my head how many babies were found but like it's just known as the tomb baby scandal if anyone would like to look it up but you know the fact that the catholic church preaches so much you know against abortion and you know will support children that are born or whatever and then the discovery of all of these remains is just very questionable um so that's something that's currently under investigation and obviously this whole issue of the magdalene laundries is such a shameful just black mark on the history of ireland and i mean i would not be surprised if people hadn't heard about it thanks for joining us everyone please head over to allconsumingcontent.com for more great podcasts you can check out Back to the Money Bin, a DuckTales podcast, Player vs. Player podcast, and Blues Hockey podcast. You can also check out our radio station at Handmaid's Resistance Radio that is on Slacker Radio or for free on the Slacker app.